Good morning, Calvary. Tell you what, backstage, y'all were singing really good today. I loved hearing you sing. Thanks for singing, and uh, hopefully you were rejoicing with God. We are starting a brand new series today uh, called Measuring Up. It's looking through the book of Malachi. And why are we doing this? Well, let us chase back a few series to discuss where we've been so we can see where we're going. A few series ago, we talked about the idea of understanding your personal calling. And, and yet you have a personal calling and there's a corporate calling and trying to, to piece that into the bigger picture of what God's asked us to do. And then from there, this last series, we talked about behind the Sunday, why we do what we do so that when we show up on Sunday mornings, we have an encounter with God that is both uh, corporate, that allows us to sing, to pray, and, uh, and all of those things as they come out and manifest itself into our life. Now, here's the question I want to ask. How do we know if what we're doing is good? In other words, how do we know we're measuring up, our faith is measuring up to God's standard? That could be a hard question, but it's important to take a measure of how you're doing, Right? If you're training for a marathon, I'm, not that I would know this, but if you're training for a marathon, they say that when you go out, you want to set a pace for a mile, and you want to learn how fast you're going so you don't burn yourself out. Um, but there's also, like, the danger of measuring yourself in the wrong way, and too often, like the little kid who's like, Mama, measure me, and the next day she's like, Mama, measure me, Mama, measure me, and you're like, I'm never growing. And so we're trying to find the balance of how to tell how we're progressing in our faith by looking at the book of Malachi, through some questions we're going to ask in the daily trainings to allow us to know, is our faith growing like it needs to grow? You with me? In order to do that, we're going to have to first get a little more information on the book of Malachi. So the book of Malachi is the last book in the New Testament, and it starts, Malachi 1.1, with the following verse. A pronouncement. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. The word of the Lord, God, to Israel, I want you to think of the Old Testament church. So when you hear the word Israel, I want you to think of church. The word of the Lord to his church through Malachi. Now, a pronouncement there is the Hebrew word masa, meaning a divine proclamation of the Lord that is heavy. A divine proclamation of the Lord that is heavy. In other words, it's hard to deliver. And that sets the tone of what is to come. So if you were expecting a light, breezy June series, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> Yet, through this series, I believe that God can really grab a hold of us and help us to know what it looks like as we chase after to see how we're doing, to chase after what God wants us to be. Let me give you a little more background to Malachi, and you'll understand why this was heavy for the people to hear it. The pronouncement is dealing with the problems that were found post the exile and the return of the Old Testament church back to Israel. For some of you, this won't mean much. Except that, let me explain it like this. The church had been separated from God for a while. Then through the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, you can find those books in the Old Testament, they were brought back into the church and the kingdom, and they thought to themselves, life is good. We're back. We're going to build the church up again. We're, we're ready to go from there. And about a hundred years later, we find the book of Malachi, three generations, four generations, something like that has gone by, and the church is full of problems again. And they're sitting there going, God, we thought you cared for us. God, we thought you loved us. God, where are you? And, and so he's trying to tell them why they're struggling, why they aren't measuring up to his standard as they do that. 
Now, here's the important thing to understand. God is considered the speaker. In other words, Malachi is speaking on behalf of God in 47 of the 55 verses in the book of Malachi. 47 of the 55 verses in the book of Malachi, you are to read it as if God himself is pronouncing it. And another important thing is these are the last words until the New Testament, which won't be as important today, but will be later on as we chase down this series. So that's kind of the background. So let's get to the layout of the way the book of Malachi. And there's different um, outlines, suggested outlines. I really have fallen in love with the Bible Project outline, and I believe this is probably the most accurate. And this is what the book of Malachi, how the book of Malachi is laid out. Once again, there's what, 55 verses. In this book, there are six disputes, six arguments. Now, who are the arguments? The arguments are between God and his Old Testament church, Israel. So the church and God are in a spat, okay? And if you're in a relationship, because we're supposed to be in a relationship with God, you're occasionally going to have spats, right? You can use whatever you want to. I don't know if spat's a good word or if it makes me 104, but we're going to go with it, okay? Now, in each one of these disputes, the following pattern is found. You're going to see this every week through this series. God accuses the church or Israel of a failure to obey him. Israel responds with a lame excuse. I want you to think of, in the book of Malachi, Israel's like the three-year-old toddler, okay? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? I mean, th this is, right? This is the three-year-old, okay? And then God gives them an answer that is contrary to what they wanted to hear, but it still offers them hope. So here's the main point of the book of Malachi. The exile worked for a season, but future generations were not impacted. The lessons of the grandparents didn't translate into their lives, and so the cycle repeated. In other words, the church didn't learn the lessons. You ever notice, if you're older, 18-year-olds always have to learn the same lessons? Like, why don't they learn? When I was a college minister for a long time, I used to be, always get frustrated at freshmen because they would bring their lunch and not throw it away in the, in the building that I was minister of. And I'd have to go throw it away. And I was like, why do these freshmen never learn? And my wife would lovingly have to say to me, because they're freshmen every year, right? And so what we're trying to do is learn the lessons ahead of time so that we don't uh, have to go through the same pain that they went through at the time. Here's the good news. The conclusion of Malachi offers us hope. God still cares. Yet he's going to do what it takes to get our attention. Did you get that? He is going to do what it takes to get our attention. And he will provide a way of reconciliation or a way of hope. Let's look at the first dispute in Malachi 1, beginning in verse 2. Here's the pronouncement. Once again, pronouncement, lame excuse, and God's response. Here's the pronouncement. I have loved you, says the Lord. I love you. Isn't that nice? Don't you like to hear the words, I love you? Israel responds, how have you loved us? That's a fair question. Because at the time, they were going through a lot of problems, a lot of struggles, and a lot of issues. In other words, it's kind of like the toddler going, oh yeah, you love me, Mom? Right? If you love me, then why don't you let me stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning? Right? So here's God's response to that. Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance into the desert jackals. 
Though Edom says, we have been devastated, but we will build the ruins, the Lord of armies says this, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked country and the people the Lord has cursed forever. Your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say, the Lord is great even beyond the borders of Israel. Say, Daniel, what did that have to do with anything? I'm glad you asked. This is a time out for those of you who have a Zach Morris friends. Um, what I'd like to do is go back to Saved by the Bell and give a little time out here. And so what I want you to see is if you are reading your Bible, I encourage you all to get a really good study Bible. Because when you read a book like the book of Malachi, they're going to have a lot of notes at the bottom. And I think it's important to understand the context behind what is written that we may not fully understand. So we teach out of the Christian Standard Bible. That's the version that we use here. And part of that is we trust the commentaries for those. So if you want to get a good study Bible, get a CSB or a couple other versions. You can talk to Drew, you can talk to me. We'd love to help you find a good study Bible so you can understand it. Because otherwise, what I'm about to tell you, you're having to take my word at. And I could be wrong somewhere down the road. I don't think I am today. But I want you to make sure you know what is being said is accurate so that you can verify that God's word is true. Time in. What's going on here is he's sitting here saying, okay, Israel's going, we're struggling, God. Why is this so hard? Our enemies, Edom, are prospering. But we're supposed to be your people, and yet we're struggling. That's the gist of it. God, why are the people who don't claim to be following you doing better than the people who claim to be following you are doing? Anybody ever feel that way? Anybody ever feel like, God, I, I, I want to do what you say, and, and I'm struggling? And, and I would argue that this has been a problem for the church for years. In fact, if you were to say church should be a party, right? The party that the church in America probably throws best is the pity party. God, why? Why? God, I'm supposed to be following you. Where are you? It's, once again, it's the three-year-old, but I want, I want, I want, right? And, and God's saying, you're not learning the lessons. Now, the church should be a party. It should be a celebration of what God is doing in our lives and through us. But the reason that we don't get it is because we don't get what God is calling us to. And that's what Malachi, through the voice of the Lord, is speaking into our lives and saying, you want to have a celebration? You want to feel like your prayers are going beyond the ceiling of the, the building you're in? You want to feel like there's a peace in you? You want to feel like there's hope and comfort? You want to believe that God is still in the creation business and creating something good and new in your life? Then you have to understand the calling that God has for you, and you have to measure whether or not you're living up to it. You have to measure your faith. Now, let me give you a caution here, because there's two extremes that the church practices in measuring the faith. One is we don't measure it and hope it's going well. That leads to chaos, right? It just doesn't do well. It's like, um, well, I'm going to go run a marathon tomorrow, but I haven't trained, and I have no earthly idea if I run a 30-minute mile or a two-minute mile, which if you run a two-minute mile, you're not human. So that's another story. But in all of that, you have to— so there's one, this chaos, but the other end of that is what I like to call legalism. And legalism is where you just go through the motions, but it lacks the intimacy— Imagine cohabitating with someone, but you're not really married to them. That's legalism. And there's a whole lot of people who feel like because they live 
and occasionally go to the house of the Lord, that they're good. But there's not an intimacy there. Now, some of us struggle with knowing what intimacy is in all aspects of our life. So I'm going to get to that. I'm going to try to unpack that over these next few weeks. But as we're understanding, what I want you to see is we're trying to measure how our life aligns with God's calling. In other words, we're trying to balance grace and truth. Truth says there's a way that we're supposed to live. Grace says we're not going to be perfect. Truth calls us to, to say, I want to live in the perspective that God has a way that I want to define my life, but, but grace says, even when I fail, I'm going to get back up and try again because God has loved me for where I am. And when you marry grace and truth, you find that we live a life. So here's the outline of the first dispute and how we get there. Here's the outline of the first dispute. God says, I still love you. And Israel says, do you really? Do you really? I mean, life was a struggle. Not only were the enemies prospering, which was like the height of insult to Israel. God, you're supposed, we're supposed to be your church. Why are the enemies prospering? Life was a struggle, not only there, but there was corruption, a lot of corruption within the church. Has that ever happened? And so people are going, God, why are there these Pharisees here? Why are, oh, this is awful. So other nations were still threatening. Corruption in Israel abounded. And here's the piece of the resistance, right? Evil abounded and the people blamed God. God, if you're so good, why are you letting so-and-so do this? God, if you're so good, why is, are you allowing this to happen? God, if you're so good, why is my life such a struggle? The three-year-old then slams the door, goes to his room, and starts crying, hoping Dad will come and say, it's okay, you can stay up to 4 a.m. because it's New Year's Eve, right? By the way, anybody ever done that? Netflix has this great thing that allows you to fast. Anyways, that's another story, another time. What I want you to see in all of this is we will actually find our peace and our joy when we live our life by God's standard and we measure the way we're living by that. So here's how God responds. I established a covenant with you. I have not failed in my promises. I have established a covenant with you and I have not failed in my promises. Now, a contract is different than a covenant. And God there is saying, I have a covenant with you. For those who walk with Jesus, those who surrendered to God, I have a covenant with you. A contract says if you don't meet your ends, the contract can be canceled. If you don't fulfill this, I don't have to fulfill my part of the bargain, right? If you don't put up the money, I don't have to sell you my house. That's a contract, right? A covenant, the difference in a contract and a covenant, a covenant says, I will fulfill my responsibility even if you don't. Aren't you glad God did a covenant with us and not a contract? Because we're the ones who fail. And so God invites us and says, I'm going to love you no matter what you're doing. I'm going to care for you no matter what you're doing. And so this is important because there was a lot of problems. And he was implying that Israel did not 
feel loved because God was not letting them do what they wanted. Let me say that again. The church did not feel loved because God did not let them do what they wanted. What they wanted. I read a book this last week that suggests that 77% of Americans currently are stressed. 77%. I have no way to verify it. I'm telling you it was in a book, not on the internet, so therefore it has to be true, right? <laughs> but let's, let's for a moment assume that it, that 77% is not one of the statistics that are made up on the spot and is real. That means that 8 out of 10 of you, roughly, on this morning came in here stressed. And what happens a lot of times is we get mad at God because we're stressed. We're mad, right? God, I, I don't know how to pay these bills. Did you see the price of gas, God? I mean, I'm blaming you, right? This SUV is not my problem, you know? <laughs> Too close to home. <laughs> And we stay angry over frivolous three-year-old. We're mad. We blame everybody else but ourselves. Church, God has not forgotten you. God loves us right where we are. And the same author of this book said there's two kind of uh, stressors that lead us to. One is um, we live out of controlling fear. And controlling fear is the big problem we have. Controlling fear is the idea that when I'm stressed out, I'm going to go, God, I'm supposed to live up to a certain standard. I don't know how to do this, so I'm going to try my best. God, here's your standard. Okay, now what do I need to do? God, I'm going to try to dry a little harder, and that can promote legalism. It can promote uh, misery. It can promote angst because I'm struggling with everything. So pick whatever your problem is, and you sit there and go, I know this shouldn't be a problem. I'm following God, and so I'm going to try to control it to get back to where I'm at peace with God. Do you hear the word I in there a whole lot? That's not holy. The holiness is the place where we say, I'm not going to live a controlling fear, but I'm going to live a releasing fear where I, yes, there are issues in my life, but I'm going to lay them at the foot of the cross because God does care for me. God does want what's best for me. God will provide. So here's what I want to ask you as we go forward. Do you ever feel like God has turned his back on you? Do you ever feel that way? Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you feel that way right now. I want to give you a promise. And I want to let, I very rarely say promise. Here is a promise I can give you. The Lord is constant. The Lord is kind. The Lord is loving. He will not turn his back on Let me say it again. The Lord is constant. The Lord is kind. The Lord is loving. He will not turn his back on you. How you feel about it does not change the facts. He will not. You see, God lovingly cares for you. So as we're trying to get to this, difficult times may not be the result of your sins. Why are there difficult times? Because 
difficult times may not be the result of your sins, but it is the result of someone's sin because there is sin and brokenness in this world. And so we have to ask ourselves, is it me or someone else? Regardless, God provide. God take care. God be my peace. How do we know if the problem's ours or somebody else? We have to ask honest questions. So I want to begin by measuring up the significance of the covenant. And when I want to challenge us that we need a covenant perspective. In other words, the fact that we really buy into the fact that God loves us. Exclamation point. That God will not turn us back. That's what I mean by this, covenant perspective. First of all, I want you to see God loves me. Full stop. That the, the fingerprint, we've talked about this a thousand times, that is on your hand is not an accident. That God lovingly stitched it in there. That he made you an introvert or an extrovert. He gave you the, he sewed into your head the amount of hairs you have or don't have, right? He gave you your, your awesome, gregarious attitude and your positivity, and he also gave you your skeptic heart. He gave you the ability to, to, to be an athlete or an engineer. Rarely both. <laughs> and when God looks at you, he does not see a mistake. You have a personality that was given with a purpose to glorify God on this earth. Do you hear how the series are building? One of the hindrances that we have of living out that personality and that purpose is that we don't accept the fact that God really loves us because when we have problems, rather than giving them to God, we try to navigate them on our own, and the navigating of our own leads to chaos, misery, structural struggles, and then it only leads to further sin. What would it look like, church, if we woke up this morning and realized, God, you are good. God, you are holy. God, you were faithful. I will not doubt that. And we instead of trying to take all of the burdens and the stresses of this world, said, you are my loving Father. Here's my burden. And we watched him do amazing things. Part of the reason we struggle finding the peace is because we don't really believe God loves us. Because we bought into lies that if we have hardships, it's God saying he doesn't care. And that's just not true. But God not only loves you, he loves us all. Anyone who gives their life to Jesus. What is John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever? Does that really mean whoever? Yes. Whoever believes in him, including you, your neighbor, and the person in the prison who has committed heinous crimes who then repents of them, the crimes that I won't even utter in this room, who truly repents and gives their life to Christ, God loves them too. And part of the reason we have a hard time understanding the kingdom perspective is because we don't see the world as God does. We don't see the world that God loves them for who they are. And part of the reason we struggle that is because we don't understand that we are to be united together through covenant. What does that mean? What does it mean that we're united together through covenant? It means that if you profess Jesus as Lord, then you are part of not only the church at Calvary, you're part of the church at large. So that we as a part of the church at large believe that we are all part of one body, which means that Northview is not our enemy. <gasps> Covenant 
has godly pastors. That the church down the road who proclaims the name of Jesus might look differently. And yes, we might disagree over some things because families sometimes spat. I'm going to go with that verbiage today, okay? But we're all together. Now, here's what we want. We want the blood of Christ to come down and cover us. But you do realize that we're all part of the body, so the Pentecostals might be a different part of the body from us. Amen? Testify, preach, right? But at the end of the day, the same blood that covers us courses through their veins just like ours. And the body, what unites the body together is there's an intricate system of a transportation of the blood that flows. Do you see where I'm going? And so when Northview is celebrating, we celebrate with them. And when Northview is struggling, we struggle with them. When we're struggling, hopefully Covenant struggles with us. When we see our brothers and sisters in Ukraine struggling, let's not keep this just about America. Come on, church. When we're not just the church in Nigeria struggling, or when we see the church in, in Asia celebrating, we rejoice with those that rejoice, and we weep with those that weeps, because we're all united with the same God, because His blood flows through us all. And as we look at this bigger picture, what that implies is that we have a response Responsibility, church, as a church, to make sure that our brothers and sisters are walking in the presence of the Lord. That's what was broke in Malachi. Because here's how they measured their life. And let's see if this resonates. God, I'm good. I am not living like the guy down the road. I give my tithes and my offerings. I still acknowledge you. Why is my life so hard? And he's going, you're not loving the church. You made the faith about you. You're not challenging them to grow in the faith of the Lord. You're not having small groups for the purpose of intending to allow people to challenge them because you're scared of losing relationships. You won't say the hard thing that they're in a poor relationship and need to get out. We're not talking a covenant marriage here. You're not challenging the guy down the road who's struggling with um, whatever the struggle may be because you don't want to be the person who's, you're not, you're not looking at the person who's uh, continually, habitually worrying and gossiping and challenge, calling them out. In fact, you're joining in the gossip and, and you're saying, but I'm still good because you're not in an affair. You're basing your faith by comparison to other people and are excusing your sins because you feel like you're doing better than other people. There's one standard to measure up against. It's God. I told you this was going to be hard. A pronouncement, remember? <sighs> Lord, convict me. We have to balance grace and truth, knowing that none of us are perfect. But if the church is going to be the church, we have to repent together when our people are struggling. You're not good if the person sitting in the seat next to you is not. Because we are one. We have to stop buying the lie that God just came just for me. He didn't. It's not just an evangelism metaphor when we're supposed to go out and go make disciples of all nations. It's disciples. We have to lovingly challenge 
lovingly repent together weep and rejoice and celebrate this is how we grow so how do we do that we need a covenant pursuit that says god's people not just me god's word not mine in other words not what culture says what god says not the standard that i think unless some of you who are like amen you be careful what you say amen to because you're already thinking of a few issues and that's the comparison game i'm talking across the board are we are we really willing to go across the board what is the god's word not mine we need honest evaluation and repentance and we need a chasing after the characteristics of god which is peace love joy kindness gentleness faithfulness and self-control amen which ultimately leads us to a covenant peace. Where we're going at this series over these next two weeks is I'm going to give you a series of questions. And these questions are going to stir your soul if done right. These questions may not be easy, but I believe there's peace on the other side. And I believe that not only this will benefit not only Calvary, but the church at large. When we understand what it looks like to walk in unison with God. If we don't, well, we got problems because God will get our attention. So here's what I would challenge you to do as we see the perspective. I want to I just share an illustration with you where we're going. When I went to Haiti many, many years ago, the first time I went to Haiti, um, we went there and we, we went with an eye doctor and what we were doing is helping um, the Haitians, many of which cannot afford, most of which cannot afford glasses and, or have access to glasses. And we took glasses to help people see. It was very rewarding and very, very good time. And um, some of the glasses that most of us wouldn't wear, they loved them. And it was awesome to see God use that ministry and the heart. But I re- I'll never forget, there was this one Haitian who was uh, legally blind. And we didn't know that when he first came up. And I remember getting the eye doctor going, I don't understand. This guy says he can't see. And, and through the course of the conversation, we ended up um, allowing him to have the, the strongest Coke bottle type glasses. You know those, so you know what I'm saying, um, that w- we could find. There were readers of like plus 11, plus 14, something like that. I mean, that may mean nothing to you, but think thick glass, right? And I was so excited that he was going to get these glasses. So I'm like looking at him like, oh, this guy is about to see. I'm about to see a New Testament thing. You know, like he's blind, but now he's going to see. And the strangest thing happened when he put those glasses on. He went like this. And didn't say a word. And as he walked out, he didn't even like say thank you or anything. He just kind of walked out. And I was kind of like flabbergasted. Like as in my heart, that's what I was not expecting that reaction, right? It's like, I'm going to throw a surprise party. Oh, thanks. You know, like, I, and I went and asked the eye doctor about this, and she goes, Daniel, you got to understand. This is the first time he ever knew his fingers had fingerprints. In fact, when he goes outside today, he was so blind, this is the first time he's ever going to know trees have leaves. He's going to have a perspective of the world he's never had before. It's hard to celebrate that. He's just taking it in. And as we're going forward, here's my prayer. That the Lord does something so uncomfortable in our life that that's who we are. We're going to see the world with such a different perspective, a kingdom perspective through this book, through the challenge of what God's doing, that we're going to be able to go, Father, move. 
we're going to be in awe of the details of his plan for our life as it unfolds before us. It begins by us measuring up. So here's our daily training. So we're talking about how do we measure God's love for us? Well, he loves us. So how does my love measure up with him? I want you to ask the following question. Am I placing him first? Right now? Yes. Tomorrow? Yes. I want you to ask that question all the time. In fact, if I'm honest with you, as opposed to when I lie, if I'm transparent with you, what I really want you to see is I hope this week there's some 3 o'clock in the morning rumblings. I hope there's some deep, hard conversations in marriage. I hope there's some uncomfortableness, uncertainty, some agonizing, some longing. I hope there's unsettled holiness that resonates down to the core of your soul as you're raising your kids and you start punishing them. And as you're punishing them, I want you to punish with this thought in mind. Am I putting God first in this punishment? When it is spat, keep that word today, breaks out between you and your significant other, am I keeping God first? Or am I putting Him in a corner for now? When work gets hard, am I putting God first? When it comes to the decisions that I make, am I putting God first? Because here's the thing. You and I will not be perfect. I will fail my wife many times. But you know why I know that my wife and I are in a good relationship? Because even though I may fail or she may fail, we know we're going to get up and try again. You may fail in your relationship with God, but let me be clear. God still cares for you. God still loves you. God has not abandoned you. So get back up and keep going. Because if you love God, if He's the imminent of what you're about, if He is the core of who you are, then you're going to want to do what he says. So I pray that this question inundates your life so much this week that it causes you to be uncomfortable for the glory of his renown. I know it's vacation, but these are going to build. So if you're gone, watch it online. If you're not gone, be here because the body needs you. You're part of the body. At the end of this service, there'll be a couple of us up front. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus if you want to know more about him, about how Jesus died on the cross for you, what this blood talk really means and how his sacrifice covers you. You got questions? We hopefully have answers. If we don't, we'll find them for you. So come talk to us after the service. But for now, I invite you as I pray, ask God right now, are you my priority? Are you my priority as I'm about to sing, or am I just thinking of lunch? Are you my priority in this prayer, or am I just moving on to the next thought? Are you my priority for what I'm going to do the rest of the day, God? Begin to be my priority. Father, help us right now to sense your presence to be guided by you, to be guarded by you. Oh, Spirit, would you move? We as your church need to come to you, longing for you to do something mighty in God. We ask for forgiveness when we felt like halfway is good enough. When we played the comparison game. So God, right now, we, we bring our lives and measured up to your standard and your standard alone. Show us 
what we need to give to you. Help us to joyfully do so. To resonate with you, to find your peace. And God, when we don't know how, we thank you for that moment. And we ask that you show us your amazing love because you are good and kind and just and loving and faithful. You are our Savior and our Lord. You are our friend, our judge, our advocate, our ally. You are our Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You are Emmanuel, God in human flesh that has come with us. You are constant companion, a source of joy. You are the beginning and the end. You are our hope, our everything. We proclaim your goodness even now. In your holy name we pray, the name of Jesus.